today I'm preaching to those who don't like my Florida Gators tie. So. <laughs> if you find a copy of God's Word and turn it to John chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1,129. If you're turning there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that your teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of, of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us all this morning, Lord, as we prepare uh, to receive your word, Lord, that it may be illuminating to myself, to the congregation. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the glories and blessings that you bestowed upon us. In son's holy name we pray. Amen. Now would be the time where I would usually sit down and Parker would come up and bring the word, but uh, <laughs> stuck with me for the next 10 or 15 minutes or so. Um, this text here is, is often overlooked in favor of the 16th verse. In this chapter. But John 3, 1 through 15, um, gives us a great indication and doctrine of what salvation is and how we get it. This morning, we're going to take a look at the new birth. What, it, what is it? What does it mean for us? My sermon's not meant to be comprehensive, but rather to whet your appetite so that you're interested in studying the new birth this week. Anywho, as we begin... I'm sure many of you have been in conversations where someone says, I'm a born-again Christian. You, know, you hear a lot of celebrities say things like that. Uh, and it elicits all sorts of thoughts in our heads. But usually people that say that I'm a born-again Christian, they have some sort of dramatic testimony, right? In which they were saved in some dramatic way, whether that be salvation from drugs, alcohol, or something else. 
But Jesus' point here is that the new birth is not solely for those who have had some dark past that now find comfort in morality. The new birth is for everyone. It's for those who have grown up inside the church. It's for those who have grown up outside of the church. Nicodemus, he was both significant and insignificant to the story. He was insignificant because Jesus could have used anybody or nobody at all to explain the doctrine of the new birth. Yet he chose to do that through his conversations with Nicodemus. Which leads us to ask, why Nicodemus? What's so special about him? Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a scholar, very intelligent. He was a student of the law. If anyone could understand profound doctrines, it was him. And yet Jesus chose his conversations with Nicodemus to show us how one is born again. Jesus chose Nicodemus because he wanted to explain the doctrine of the new birth to those that thought they had already experienced it. Indeed, he wanted to explain salvation to those who thought they already had it. Many of us have similar testimonies to Nicodemus. You know, we grew up in the church. We learned to bite the Bible in Sunday school. And we thought our salvation was dependent on how often we show up to church or how good we've been that week. That's how I was. If I'm being honest, a lot of times I still tend to think that way. Um, And that's why we're exactly the sort of people that Jesus is talking to here. The sort of people who think we understand salvation, but may not have actually experienced it. Let's jump into the text here in verse 2. It says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, why would he come to Jesus at night, and why is that important? Most commentators, most scholars would agree and argue that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because of peer pressure, right? You know, he didn't want his fellow Pharisees, he didn't want his friends see him go to somebody that they despise, that they couldn't stand. It's far easier to hide what you're doing in the dark than it is the light. This also shows us something else. It contrasts Nicodemus' spiritual darkness with Jesus' spiritual light. It tells us that Nicodemus, somebody who thought they were saved, was actually in need of something completely different, something that can only be found in Jesus. Verse 3 may seem a little odd to us at first glance. For one, Jesus responds to a question that Nicodemus never asked. It's not the first time that Jesus did something like this. Um, and it probably seems a little bit rude to us. But Nick, Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. Right? Much like the paralytic that Jesus healed in Matthew 9, Jesus knew what Nicodemus truly needed, despite what Nicodemus thought he might have needed. Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus appears to say the same thing again two verses later, but notice the difference. Later he says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Yet in this verse, he told Nicodemus that he had to be born again to see the kingdom of God. 
appears to be a very subtle difference to us, but it's actually extraordinarily important if we're going to understand the doctrine of the new birth. The point here is that Nicodemus not only couldn't enter the kingdom of God without being born again, but he couldn't even see it. What does that mean? What does it mean to see the kingdom of God? John Calvin likens those who have not been born again to donkeys at a concert. They're there, but it's just loud noise around them. Right? They, they cannot appreciate the beauty of the music, and so the unregenerate cannot appreciate the beauty of Christ without the new birth. Nicodemus stood before the beauty of his majesty and yet could not comprehend his words. To see the kingdom of God, to see it, is to understand. It's to be illumined to the truth. Right? That's why we say a prayer of illumination after every scripture reading. Because we need the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to understand what the text is saying. Unless you have the Spirit's illuminating power of the new birth, you cannot even comprehend the kingdom of God, much less enter it. Let's take a look at verse 5. Jesus says that unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, many Christians would take this to mean that you got to be baptized in order to be saved. There's a few problems with that. Uh, For one, the text here says water. It doesn't say baptism. Secondly, Nicodemus would have been very confused if Jesus said that he had to be baptized. The rite and sacrament of baptism had not even been established at the time of this conversation. It's far more likely that water here is used as a metaphor for the Spirit. In Ezekiel 36 that Parker read this morning, God told the Israelites that he would sprinkle clean water on them, not dunk, but sprinkle clean water on them, and they would be cleansed of all uncleanliness. This cleansing by sprinkling was a metaphor for the Spirit. And so it is likely that Jesus is using the same metaphor here. Like the Israelites, we too need the cleansing power of the Spirit to purify us. That cleansing can only be found in the Spirit's illuminating power of the new birth. Jesus tells Nicodemus that it is by the power of the Spirit that one receives the new birth and is given eternal life. That which is flesh can only produce flesh. One commentator helpfully puts it like this. We want to, we want to, and can only obey that which is most important to us. If I'm unregenerated, then I only want to and can only please myself. I would think of no ways to please God. That's the point of Jesus' message. Left up to ourselves, we can only choose destruction. We need the new birth to move us away from the flesh and bring us into a new covenant community. This brings us to the all-important question. How do I get the new birth? How do I receive it? I know that I'm dreadful. I know that I'm unrighteous. How do I experience and do something That's outside of myself. 
where you can't do it by yourself. You can't. That's exactly what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Imagine for a moment that I'm five foot four, right? That I am 130 pounds soaking wet. I know a lot different from the truth, but imagine, right? Five foot four, 130 pounds, and I run a six second 40 yard dash. I'm sorry, but no matter how hard I work, no matter how many hours I put in the gym and so on, I'm never going to be starting left tackle for the Florida Gators. It's just not going to happen. It's not something I can ever do, no matter how polite I am to the recruiters. They might make me a water boy or something like that, but that's about it. I'm not going to be left tackle. It's the same way for us. It's not about how hard we work or how much southern charm that we have. The new birth is something that happens outside of ourselves. It's outside of our control. It's given as a free gift from God. It's another example. Think about a newborn baby. They had no choice in their conception. They had no choice in their birth. They didn't say, if I try really, really hard this year, I'm going to be born. No, it doesn't work like that. They were conceived by their parents, and they were born into a world that was foreign to them, oftentimes crying on the way out. It's the same way for us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and the Spirit, the Spirit brought us into a world that was foreign to us. We didn't grab the side of the boat and say, God, pull me in. We were dead at the bottom of the ocean floor, and he breathed life into our bones. The new birth is something that happens outside of ourselves. It is imputed to us as a gift. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus could not understand a lick of what Jesus was talking about. When I was in college, I worked part-time the, at the campus's maintenance department. We did things like cut grass and change air filters, belts, and so on. Uh, we had this one guy that worked with us named Johnny. He's an older gentleman, hilarious guy. Uh, he, he's since died from COVID, but Johnny did not speak the same English that you and I do. And for the life of me, I could not understand what he was saying. Uh, for the longest time, I listened carefully. I hoped to pick up a word or two from the sentence so I could piece together what he was talking about. Eventually, as time went on, I could understand most of what Johnny was saying, but it took a long time. That's what Nicodemus needed, and that's what we need, right? After we're born again, and we start to spend more and more time with Jesus, we can finally start to understand what he's saying. But like Nicodemus, we first need the new birth to even see what Jesus is saying. Let's take a look down to verses 14 and 15. Jesus says that in order to have eternal life, you must have faith in the one who is lifted up. It's a matter of seeking Jesus. Nicodemus sought answers from Jesus, but he didn't seek Jesus. And here's where a lot of people get mixed up, including myself, right? We think seeking is something that we do. We've already established that the Spirit seeks us. Even though we're Presbyterians and have this knowledge and believe in predestination and so forth, 
we still like to think that we're the ones that's the seekers. For my fellow Star Wars fans out there, we're like Luke on the Temple Island when Master Yoda says to him, Skywalker, still looking to the horizon. Be thankful I didn't do Yoda's voice there. Um, (laughs) We're still looking to the horizon for something to do, some way in which we can assist God in the new birth. Some of us, we try to seek God and the new birth by working with all our might to be good. But later, we're confronted with Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, I worked harder than all of the apostles, yet it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So the new birth is obviously not something that we can achieve by working hard. Because good works are God's working in us. They're his works. They're not our works. Finally, what does it look like once we've been born from above? Once we've been born again by the Spirit? Those who have been born from above notice a profound change in themselves. For myself and many others, I had a sort of born-again experience right, in which I saw a radical change in myself and in my desires. I started desiring to please Christ more and myself less and started to read my Bible more. But for others, for others, it can be a more gradual process, subtle in its tone where you come to see Christ as more and more beautiful over a period of time. There's no set way. The Spirit moves like the wind, however it pleases. We can't tell where it's going or where it's coming from. Either way, we will eventually notice a profound change in our thoughts, our motives, our hearts, and our desires to be more like Christ. Take St. Augustine, for example. Augustine's mother prayed for his salvation before he was born. And yet he didn't become a Christian until his early 30s when he saw and tasted that the Lord was good. During his early years, Augustine notes how he loved sin. He once stole a bunch of pears and instead of eating them, he just threw them in with the pigs. He wasn't interested in the pears. He was interested in disobeying. I think we can all relate to that. As he grew older, he fell in the hands of lust and he sinned by the way of prostitutes. Then one day, after Augustine had been born again, he was walking through a town and one of the prostitutes recognized him and she called out to him. But Augustine continued walking until eventually the prostitute said, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine turned around and responded, I know but it is not I. That's what the new birth is. It's the turning of water into wine. We're now something new, something better. We're not controlled by our lust, no longer controlled by our desire to disobey. We've been given a new heart by the Spirit, and with that comes new desires. Jesus says that the Son of Man, who is lifted high on a cross, has sought you. 
He has come to bring the true healing that the bronze serpent could not bring. The healing and cleansing that comes by the Spirit in the new birth. All we have to do is accept in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you mostly for the reading of your word, Lord, as the only source of truth in this life. I pray that we have experienced the new birth, Lord, and thus are motivated differently than we were before. That we now rely on the Spirit for our understanding of your word, Lord, not our own wisdom or lack thereof. Father, finally, I pray that we look to the cross to see the beauty that we could not see before. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen.